Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The following presentation is brought to you by Sports Ethos. What's up, Briz Nation? Welcome to the show. Today, Isaac and David are still out, but I am joined by Ed Memphis. He writes for Grizzly Bear Blues and he is a staple on Grizz Twitter. If you don't follow him, um, he's a good follow. He's also a staple on the Grizz Spaces. Uh, shout out to EJ. So, Ed, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Happy to have you on the show, man. So, I appreciate you having me on. So, let's get into it right now. Uh, the Grizzlies are... 14 and nine, uh, after taking a win against the Pistons, they are currently number four in the standings. They've gone two and one since uh, I talked to you guys on the last podcast. But let's start off with this win tonight. Ed, what, 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 were, you, what were some of your takeaways from the Pistons game? Uh, the good thing is they ain't come out and you know lay an egg. They came out with the right energy and took control of, of it right away. So that was that was the good thing about it. They didn't come out and um, you know, flat and try to, you know, and and look forward to the more important game that was next. Um, they went ahead and took care of business. I mean, it got close towards the end. Um, but you know, of course, you know, that they, they're gonna make the runs, but um it, it was ultimately a game where they came in and took care of business. So and, and the good thing about the Pistons is I saw some fighting them. You see that they're fighting for Coach Dwayne Casey. So it's just a matter of them assembling the right team and, and uh, developing this chemistry and growing and learning how to win as a team. Uh, but it definitely, as, as of right now, they absolutely got the right coach over there. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. That's a, it's, a, it's, it's a growing team. I like that team. They got a lot of young talent over there. And so uh, it, it was, it, like you said, it was great to see them. I guess I guess keep it well. It wasn't great to see them, but they you could see them keep it competitive uh, as they went throughout the game. But I, I guess my number one takeaway is, is got to be just John Morant. Um, he had a career high twenty one point quarter in the third quarter, and before that he was just kind of being a facilitator, I think, and he trying to get his teammates involved, and he was doing a pretty good job with that. But in the third quarter, he just went off and pretty much had about every kind of highlight you can have. <laughs> Crossover three pointers and alley oops and dunks, man. Jai is incredible. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's like just the from the moves and, and the pass and everything that he does is just you know is is a trending topic. So it's not even it's it's one thing for somebody to be highly productive. Like I love watching Tim Duncan play, you know, but to watch uh you know or even a Luca. But to watch somebody do it in with with as much flair that is, as he does on a possession position, not a nightly basis, a possession to possession basis, meaning every possession is what I like. That's right. that's special. I'm I mean, we as a city, we just a market. Memphis, we blessed to have that, especially as a city and community. One hundred 
percent. Jock finished the game with uh, 33 points and 10 assists. Uh, he had four rebounds, no, five rebounds, uh, plus 21 on the court. So huge game for him, but it, it wasn't just him. Like it was, this was a real full, I'd say, team effort. Now, for me personally, I would have liked for them to put this game away earlier. Uh, they, I think they had opportunities to put this game away, and they, you know, like I said, let the, the Pistons come in and make runs. But uh, Dylan Brooks also had 22 points. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. had 22 points. Brandon Clark had 14 points. And this was a game that they were missing Steven Adams, so it was good to see uh, everybody chip in on the offensive end. Right, absolutely. And this is a game where they were potentially the undersized team, which is usually not the case with our star lineup. So for them to come in and, and you know, against uh, Duran and Stewart and Bagley, all that, that three big trio, um, to come in and be productive. Because one thing all three of those guys can do is rebound well. You know, they definitely do great on the glass. So for, for Clark to come in and, and bang amongst those guys where he's easily the smallest big on the floor tonight by far. Um, and for him to get 14 rebounds, I think he had the most rebounds of anybody. Uh, kudos to Brandon Clark for having, you know, put forth such an effort. Um, just running the floor and being active all night long. That's a great point. It's a great point because the Grizzlies were able, despite being outside, undersized, like you said, they were able to out-rebound the Pistons 46-31. to 31. And like you said, Brandon pretty much picked up the, the brunt of that load. I mean, it wouldn't even – I think the second closest rebounder was Salty Adama, who had seven. Right, exactly. You know what I'm saying? And, I, you know, Jared, uh, Jared only, I think, only had like, what, three, three rebounds? Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, he had a great game, though, just from an all-around perspective, especially from a score, score and a defensive perspective. He was just unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, man, to see, you know, to see we beat them up on the glass like that, and like you pointed out, the second closest rebounder behind Clark is Aldama with seven. So that means Clark at 14 was – 33% of your rebounding, pretty much. You know, he's one-third of the rebounding by himself, and he's the smallest player in the front court. He's a, by far the smallest player. He's even smaller than Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay is bigger than him. So for him to put forth that type of effort, uh, I definitely commend him for filling in and playing his role tonight. Now, it was against, a, a you know, a young and developing front court of Detroit, because they're definitely young, um, but you know, still, no, regardless, is a pro NBA team and he did his job, you know. So kudos to him for that, absolutely. Definitely, because Brandon Clark needed a he needed to have a standout game. Brandon Clark up to this game had been struggling. Uh he was one of the negative on the court regularly, just not being able to catch the ball cleanly at times and messing up alley oop opportunities or missing bunny shots. Like it had been a rough go of Brandon. Uh, for up to this point, even with Jaren on the floor. And that's normally not what you see from the Jaren-Brandon-Clark combo, but it had not really been a positive up to this point. So it was good to see that tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and um, you know, for the first time this season, I started feeling like Brandon Clark was, you know, re, you know, possibly one of the redundants um, of that second unit. Uh, so for him to come back and really put up a game like this, hopefully this will turn, uh, you know, a page that's being turned in the book of his season. Um, you know, and he's really going to catch on from here. 
Yeah, it does make a big difference being in the starting lineup next to, you know, Jerry. Uh, but still, you know, he still was able to do that. And hopefully that's that's going to be a turning point in the season for, for BC because we're going to need that from him, especially off the bench. We don't have shot creators, so you're going to need um, high activity, high production from guys so that you can maximize the opportunities you do get. Because, you know, even though we do have efficient shooters, um, they're efficient in catch-and-shoot situations, spot-up situations. So, you know, if the ball isn't flowing, if the ball movement isn't there, you know, they're not going to be able to do much. So that means you're going to need somebody that's going to be consistently crazy on the glass and giving us, you know, second and third opportunities on a consistent basis to make up for it. That's a great point because I, I really believe that's what that's what kept the Pistons in the game anyway is the stagnant offense, just a lot of dribbling, a lot of iso ball from Dylan in particular towards the towards the end of that game. I think a few <laughs> few iso possessions from him that just led to absolutely nowhere. Not to pile on Dylan, no, he had a good game, but but still, you know that the offense just got stagnant. Uh, they just got a little sloppy, I think, on defensive execution and. Uh, ultimately, is that enabled the Pistons to you know get high from three? I mean, like we'll get maybe not get high, but they had a little run from three. I think they helped keep them in the game, and the Grizzlies weren't able to get some rest. You know, with the back to back coming up against Miami, um, they pretty much had to play the the full the full game because of it. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and for me, you know, it's a good it's good they took care of business. They beat a team they were supposed to beat. Um, but at the same time, they beat a team they were supposed to beat. So, um, to, for me, you know, not to be the, um, you know, the gray of the skies, but, you know, they still have, to me, they got issues in order for this team to really make, you know, to really be complete and really where well, I feel like they'll make a championship run or just being honest where they will is they're going to have to, um, Get some type of shot creator off the, especially for the second second unit. Um, so you know, for me, I mean, they beat the team they're supposed to beat tonight. Kudos to them; they took care of business. Uh, but that, but you saw it even tonight, even in the win, even in the midst of tonight's win, you saw the moments where the ball got stagnant. And you mentioned Dylan, and this is actually everything that I just said leading up to this point right now. Um, it's really based off of what you stated with Dylan. You mentioned that the ball got a little stagnant at times. But the thing is, when Dylan has the ball, that's when you need somebody else in that lineup to um, that's going to go and get a shot. That's say, hey, look, I ain't going to wait on Dylan. I'm going to cut to the basket or I'm going to drill for I'm going to lift up along the, um, the corner. Um, you know, I'm going to create some type of shot opening. And, and to whereas I'm going to make it an option, myself an option out here on the court to where either Dylan's going to make the – he's going to have to take a good shot or he's going to have to make the obvious pass to me. Or, you know what I'm saying? And they don't have anybody that thinks like that right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's the issue. You know, you you know, of course, John Bain think like that. Dylan thinks like that. Clark thinks like that at times. Clark does. But – the type of player he is as the type of big man he is, he's not um, even he's limited because if you 
yeah, he may do that, but the moment you catch him and make him put the ball on the ground and you jump in front of him in time before he reaches the basket and he has to put that ball on the ground, then even he's limited in what he can do. So at the end of the day, it's still going to boil down to them getting somebody else. Um, like Sadiq Bay, I was thinking about him tonight. Um, you know, goes into that point. I was thinking about Sadiq Bay. Um, he's coming out the bench. I was shocked. I looked at it. I said, oh, my God, I didn't realize Sadiq Bay's coming out the bench. That is crazy. Um, you know, this is dude that was putting up like 50 at times for them last year. So um, it looks like, though, he's coming off the bench, but he played the most minutes of anybody on his team. It looks like he played 33 minutes at the end of the day. He's the best. He's the best player on that team with K, especially with K being out. Sadiq, and even then, Sadiq may still be the best player on the team because he's definitely the best all around player, regardless, because he's a two way threat. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it, and he's coming off the bench. You know what I'm saying? Like, they got that type of scoring option coming off the bench. That's the type of potential that team got. They just got to gel and grow and get maybe one or two more pieces here that's going to really put it all together or even just over time if one of the young guys they done drafted really just take the reins like kind of like a job or something but I, I'm with you if the Grizzlies could somehow manage to get us a deep bay on this team boy look out um, I'm, I'm with you right there because he led he led the Pistons in 24 points and it's just an example of like you said that shot creation that's so sorely needed because even when job was on the court you know, that fourth quarter, more so than that third quarter, when John was on the court, it was just, you know, still ball watching. Just everybody on offense is kind of standing around waiting on what John's going to do. And and I get it from a certain extent from because it because of that third quarter that he had. But when you're trying to close out a game, you got to make it easier on him. You know he's had, he's had that third quarter, he's carried. And like you said, just to have some, some other people that would think to try to make cuts to the basket and just try to keep the offense moving, make themselves available for a pass. Uh, would make would, would have made I think the difference between them playing out of extra minutes or not, and and that's not the power on them because like you said they got the win, but it's something that you see that this team desperately needs. Uh, right now this team is five and six without Desmond Bain because he was that for them, and it's so critical. You know five and six, and I, I think Desmond Bain hopefully will be working his way back soon because he makes the whole team better. There's just too many guys who can't create their own shot at this point on this roster. You know, and, and <clears throat> I and I ain't trying to take nothing away from Desmond because I love Desmond. I think he he's my he's possibly the best two guard in the league outside of maybe Devin Booker, but maybe I'm missing somebody here. Probably missing one or two other people. He's top five for sure. Yeah. I don't think top five. There's somebody I'm missing that's that's crazy, disrespectful. Yeah. Um, but I'm not maybe think right now. But um, you know. Even with that, though, you know, yeah, we're missing the five and six record as a result of that. But it also just goes to show we can't, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, just the concept of, man, we can't afford to lose that type of score. Yeah. Because we don't have other shot creators that, you know, outside of John Dillon. You know what I'm saying? So that, that it goes to show that how much of a hole it blows in the offense to lose one one of your core shot creators, your, your core, your your go to scores. Um, you you know how much it blows a hole in the situation. So Dylan can't really create his own. I mean, he can create his own shot, but the shot Dylan creates is generally more negative than positive. Dylan seems to be better. <laughs> 
out catching off, you know, without catch and shoot. He's much more effective with that. So I'm just gonna put that out there. It's really just bang because Dylan's shot is we'll just say ineffective. Yeah, and you know, Dylan's naturally not the scoring um the shooting talent for sure that 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 Bain is. Um so that's that's the thing too, just smooth, natural flick of the wrist, stroke in motion, you know, all of that. He doesn't have it to the uh Dylan doesn't have that to the degree of a bang and just natural gift and ability. So um that's the main thing with him, man. That bang is special. Uh, I remember before I saw man, I remember um you know, Joe gotta get Joe Mullinex. Um, um they used to be over there at uh, Grizzly Bear Blues. Um he's still sporting SB Nation. But him and Parker Fleming, who's now over um Grizzly Bear Blues, they both used to be really big on Desmond Bain. And I think stats was as well, Sean Coleman. Shout out to Sean Coleman. Sean, well, I think was the other so they were all three of them were being on Desmond Bain before the draft, right? And I was like, Desmond Bain. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. So when the moment they drafted him and he was available, I started looking at – well, when I started looking at his draft film, um, once they drafted him, and I, I'm like, man, I'm talking about just little clips. It don't take me much to tell if a player – if you got it. And I saw just like two or three possessions of him. And I turned the film. I was like, yeah, he got it. He going to be a star. I was like, if he gets enough opportunity, not only is he going to be good, I was like, he going to be a star. So I went from having no stock in him to having all the stock in him within watching him in three um, three plays. So I, I definitely rock with, with, with Dylan. Uh, but, again, at the end of the day, um, I think that that team – the fact that they struggle like that, just losing one scoring option, it just goes to show that they they really need that depth. Yeah, yeah, depth is a, a key word to talk about. But let me let me not let me uh let me just before we go talk about the devil a bit more. Let me say this about Dylan tonight. That tonight Dylan was very effective. He really held it down. Had a really good streak. He was fifty percent from three, five of ten. Uh, the Grizzlies overall were forty-two percent from three, which was huge because up to now they had been struggling from three-point line. But like you said, it's been a because it's been a trend of them struggling from three. It it really does speak to the depth. And and one thing that's been a debate, ongoing debate, I think amongst Grizz Twitter has been the John Conchar versus Melton specifically. And it's kind of answering a little bit, but I think most people agree that out. Santi has pretty much filled a lot of that role. Maybe not to the same. He doesn't do everything right, but he's pretty much filled that role. That, that Kyle Anderson had, but the whole visibly right. is still there. And then there go it, that term again, shot creation is gone with Melton and replacing his production with John Conchar and a hypothetical Zaire at the shooting guard position. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's interesting because like you mentioned a great point. You you specified shot creation when in reference to um DeAnthony Melton. And that's key because he was a pretty decent shot creator and definitely much more than anybody else that's on the coming off the bench right now, for sure. Anybody. He's better than any of them as a shot creator. And I'm glad you specifically uh, 
Um, you specified that because some people would jump out and say, well, Deandre Milton can't even dribble. You know, you can't even make him, you know, create plays and stuff. You're absolutely correct. He can't dribble. And that's, that's something that's really weird for somebody that's been in the league as much as he has and only six foot two, six foot one, whatever he is. Um, but you shot creation and dribbling are two different things. They aren't necessarily the same. And that's one of the things that I was that I bought into Bane about was he showed me, you know, before he even really developed his dribbling ball handling to the degree it is now, he was an unbelievable shot creator. And I saw it immediately. So and that's one of the things that that Milton did really well. And Milton was such a great uh, defender that he created a lot of offense off yeah. of deep, you know, so he would create you know, deflections and passes, I mean, steals that would, you know, put the ball in transition immediately. They chasing the ball, and as the Mr. chasing the ball, they already going towards the rim. So he had a lot of that, a lot of rebounds he did like that. A lot of rebounds he grabbed off the glass, you know, as soon as he got it on the ground, they were pushing it. Um, Blocks as well. You know, I know a lot of blocks that he would get. If the block didn't go out of bounds, you know, it created another transition opportunity because they would immediately push off of it. Um, and in the midst of them pushing the court, Melton was great with finishing and creating shots around the rim. So he wasn't necessarily the best shooter. He definitely isn't the shooter that Cutshaw is. But the difference between the two is Melton can definitely uh, finish and create a shot much, much better than Cutshaw can. Um, and, you know, the thing is, the spot up shooting, you know, people always reference. Well, Kunchar this is he's you know he's he's you know he's a forty two percent spot up shooter. You know he's a forty two percent shooter from three and whoop, whoop. yeah, that's all spot up. You know he's so <clears throat> you don't look at the fact when the office the many times the office goes stagnant and he's not able to get that shot. He ain't even able to take the attempt. So you're not hurting your, your percentage at all because you ain't even getting the shot because you don't you don't you don't really have the ability to get open or at least you don't have the tendencies to get open. So you know you know that that's a big difference between the two when you speak about Melton versus Clutchar. Yeah, exactly, and and that was so important to that bench. I think that that because a lot of times there were games where the bench was the spark. A lot of times that was melting and that, and that is no knock on contrast. So I think some people uh, might mistake me and others who are in the camp of that. There is a drop off there uh, is no offense to contrast at all. He is great at what he does. It is, it is my personal opinion that he's asked to do a little bit too much. I think he's much more effective in, in great depth. If he is the more like 10th man and he can, you know, be a more than that. So a certain, depending on the matchup, but I I do feel like there's a drop off from um when with them now depending on him being the backup to and uh I like to get your thoughts too because a lot of people in the opposite camp talk about how well Zaire is supposed to be the backup to technically but he is out um and I, at least my thought on it is is just that from a roster construction perspective that's an experiment. Like we don't know what Zaire looks like at the guard position yet. I think he's growing in that, and I think he'll be able to do it. I think he'll be able to do it great next year. Uh, this year, I think there might be some inconsistency with it, but with a team trying to really contend, I think from a roster construction standpoint, it is the front officer's responsibility to make sure there's somebody proven back there. But, but what do you think? 
Um, you know, it depends on how honest you want me to be. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to be honest, man. <laughs> man, you know, I'm gonna keep it real with you, fam. Uh, you know, Zaire, I like him. I like the concept. A long, athletic, wiry, smart. Um, you know, uh, skilled, um, high character guy. You know, with potential, athletic, all of that. You know what I'm saying? Um, skilled. You know, the issue with him is he's never to me. He's never been able to put it together yeah. at any level. Um, you know. Uh, Black Lives Matter, shout out to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter always defends him. He's, you know, he's a Zaire guy. And, um, you know, we were debating back and forth on Twitter last week. And he was like, well, you know, because um, we were talking about numbers, you know, the, the evaluating talent based off of metrics or the eye test. And, um, you know, he was mentioning that the uh, Grizzlies, drafted Zaire based off of, you know, the metrics suggest what the metrics suggested. I said, well, that's not true. You know, and I went back and pointed to um, the USC Zaire shot like 30 something percent, like low 30s from the field. Um, so, you know, now it was a COVID year, there's a lot going on. They weren't even able to stay and practice in their own dorms in Stanford because of so much was going on. They had to quarantine at hotels and work out at high school gyms, and I get all that. Um, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> you know, the, the stats are what they are. And he, you know, he struggled to average 12, 13 points at, at uh, Stanford. Uh, and then you'll say, okay, well, but that's, that's just that's it. Okay, cool. So let's go back to high school, right? Because he was saying, well, this, he was efficient in high school. He was, um, Black Lives were saying, well, they drafted him to be, um, they drafted him partially because of how efficient he was in high school. I said, okay, well, let's go back to high school. In high school, he shot 39% at Sierra King, and he only averaged 13.6 points a game. So even in high school, he wasn't efficient, just averaging 13 a game. You know, so he's never really been able to show that he can put it together and really be that guy at an efficient level, let alone dominate at any level. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so with me, uh, I like Zaire. I was glad when they drafted Zaire at the pick they did. I thought that was a good pick. So I don't think it's a bad pick. I think that he can definitely prove he was worth the 10th pick. Um, But I see, you know, a lot of people see Zaire as, um, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the analogies I get. I've heard stuff is is is. You hear who? I hear Brandon Ingram a lot. Why? I was gonna say. I was just gonna say. I've heard stuff is wild and and, <laughs> and delirious is Brandon Ingram. I'm gonna tell y'all the truth now. It ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't even probably finna get a Brandon Ingram game out of that mind. Damn sure, excuse my language, not getting no Brandon Ingram seasons out of bro, let alone becoming that type of player. And there's no disrespect to him. It's more about managing our expectations. We, I'm not even gonna put the pressure on him, right? Okay. Um, I put him more along the caliber 
of Koi Brewer, anywhere from Koi Brewer to McCall Bridges. Okay. And I see him closer to Koi Brewer. And I'll sprinkle in Tayshaun Prince somewhere in the middle of those two. So yes. somewhere between Koi Brewer, Tayshaun, and McCall Bridges. I think that's fair, especially based off of what we know from him. And I'll say, I'll, I'll put this out there. I think he might be able to go a tier above that just because of the Bridges' development. But I, I don't think it'll be this year. I think the expectations for Zaire, I think a lot of people expect a Desmond Bain leap from Zaire, but what people tend to miss is that Bain developed in his same position that whole time. So he was always a shooting guard. Like, well, well, I, well, I said that he did play some small forward, didn't he? And he was always the main. Yeah. He, well, you know was, what I'm saying? He was, was always great. the. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What you were saying? I, I want to hear what you were saying. Well, I, I think there was a Grayson Allen part. So you do remember the Grayson Allen, Milton. Oh, oh, no. I'm saying, I'm saying as far as this, what I was saying, what I meant by that. At TCU, he was the main. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? He was the main at TCU. In high school, he was the main at his school. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So he already has the experience and the mental uh, capacity and the mental uh, stability, the mental discipline that it takes to be a consistent 20 you know, 18 to 25 points per game player, star level player. When you get to 18 to 25 points per game, you're a star level player to the uh, caliber anyway. So he's already used to being, you see what I'm saying? He's used to carrying that, that load and handling that responsibility and having that mindset every day. I got to go out and score 20 on my team ain't winning. And I got to figure out how to do it efficiently. So he's used to that. Those are two things Zaire has never proven. He's never been efficient. And he's never proven he could be the man or even be a star caliber player, high efficient, 18 to 25 points per game. He's never been that in high school, college, or yet in the NBA. But the the NBA really don't count because it's so early. But even still, the clock is ticking. So, you know, that's that's just a real that's not to be brutal. I'm just again, we're let's be real about expectations. And I I just can't see there is no way he will go past McCall Bridges. I can promise you that. He will not nowhere will he that ceiling is nowhere not he'll even be lucky. I don't even understand. I don't even think it's likely that he'll quite reach that. I think he'll be more closer to somewhere between Corey Brewer. And Tayshawn. I'll take Tayshawn. I'll be glad with a Tayshawn. I would. I'll take that. I'll be so happy. You know what I'm saying? That's good. But McCall, defensive player of the year type of player. Oh, man. And the spacing and the, the shot, you know, the, the he's not much of a ball handler, but the, the still the, the offense, the off-ball offense that he brings you, the off-ball IQ and the efficiency that he has always been. Um. Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he'll. I don't. Even, he. He won't reach that more than likely, and he definitely won't exceed it. If you ask me. Now, I will say I'm a little higher on Zaire. I think he can be close to that Mikael Bridges type role, and I will say I attribute that to my respect for the Grizzlies' uh, development. I think uh, more than more than anything, just because I think that they the Grizzlies do a good job of putting 
putting players in a position to be able to grow exponentially beyond what you would be able to think a player ceiling will or is. But I understand your point. I, and I and I if you if you were going off of just if he wasn't on the Grizzlies, I think I would one hundred percent agree with you. But and I don't know you gonna you gonna make Grizz to the bad, but they gonna be hollering at us. <laughs> but I, I think it's important because. <laughs> think that the expectations for Zaire have been just so much and we got to keep in mind that this is a second year player and we have to keep in mind that he came in super young like he came in Desmond Bain played all four years and so he had has that experience and I do think people are expecting just a little bit too much from Zaire especially from a guard because it's not easy changing positions the way that they're supposedly asking him to do and so it I'm not, I'm, I don't think he'll take a step back, but if there was a case for a player taking a step back, it would be in his second year playing an entirely different role than he was asked to play in his first year. And now, like by year three, year four even, I see that he should be able to be a secondary. His uh, handles will be a little better. But even in the summer league, from what I saw, there's still a work in progress um, now he won't be getting the same defensive attention he was getting in summer league as he is in the NBA. And that's going to help. And I think you'll see some of those flashes uh, a lot, but I'm consistently putting it together. Like you said, in year two, I think is a bit of a stretch. Now he will be a valuable contributing member in my opinion to this team because boy, this bench needs them. I'm just going to just put it out there. They, They really, they need, they need the length. They need the defense that he can provide. And they need the anybody who's gonna at least try to be, like you said, a shot creator or try to think. I think I do think that he'll be more of a cutter and trying to keep the offense moving. And I'll tell you what, what I miss. And then I'll let you go. I tell you what I miss that I noticed is Ja runs up the court and there is nobody really running the floor with him. And so then we gotta wait on the numbers to come and the transition offense. Is not what it was. And part of that is because of DeAnthony and what he provided. But also, I think Zaire was that guy who would get those uh, alley-oops and he could run the floor and really create that. He was a big part of the fast-break offense, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. You just, oh, my God, you just said that so well. Uh, well, no no doubt, fam. I mean, he he's like, um, like you said, the, you just mentioned the two people, like literally, that just to me, the hell, that was the transition. Zaire yeah. and Melton, of the two yeah. you remember creating, a, those are the two you remember having those transition moments, uh, with with uh, Ja the most, honestly, even more so than Jared. Uh, so because they're the two fastest guys, or were the two fastest guys on the team last year. So and they were, they were the guys with the longest legs that get out and just run that transition, run that rim the best. So absolutely, and you get a lot of that back. And then you also, um, as far as you know, just um, off ball activity and off ball IQ uh, and shot creating wise. Um, yes, he's desire is a much. Um, brings you much more of that than anybody else that's currently in the lineup. I totally agree with you on that. So that's one thing he would definitely bring right away is a better off-ball um, option to that second lineup. He, and he's a guy who's more <clears throat> assertive as far as communicating and leadership 
than any of those guys. He's one of those guys that's telling guys, okay, come on, run the play. You know what I'm saying? Hey, swing, be right here. He's already trying to take on those responsibilities. And that's important too. Um, not just a shot creator or scorer, but also having a guy that's that's vocal um and that can, you know, help, you know, um direct and that direct that offense um, you know, for with the point guard. So you got two voices at least on the court. That's that's uh directing traffic on offense. He does bring some of that. He definitely brings potential for a lot more of that. That's an excellent point. That is an excellent point. But we didn't we didn't talk about Melton for a minute, and we have not yet talked about Melton's return back to the crying house. And um just uh, on Friday, Friday night's game was that matchup. And what what were some of your thoughts, takeaways on the 76ers game? Um and B, of course did his thing for sure. This is the first time we played Embiid in like two years, I feel. Something like that. I mean, the Embiid's always been ducking and dodging one way or another playing the Grizzlies, but uh, they got been, to, it's been, it was two, 2018 last time. Really? It was four years. Oh, man. That is yeah. great. And he's only played there, I think, twice in Memphis. Here. Really? Yeah. So he's only played in, he's only played in Memphis, I think, on it like twice. And maybe that was the third game, I think. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. what were your thoughts on that game? Um yeah, I mean, of course it'll be did his name. It'll be, you know, um as far as Melton, I was surprised that he didn't come out and just had his, you know, great home, you know, revenge game or whatever. Um, because that that was the flip side of Melton. I always folks call him Mr. Do something. I call him Mr. Fool something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was that my, that's my that's that's what I call him. That's how he'll do you. You know, say hey, you'll better put your house up on Melton. <laughs> Next morning you homeless because you don't you don't got duped. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. But he. he- was inconsistent and some, and that's ultimately why he is traded. Um, I, I actually, my personal take is that they should have replaced Milton more than they should have kept Milton. But I'm with you. But go ahead, go ahead. No, no, and and not to not to switch points, but because that was one of the things I wanted to mention um, earlier um, with the contract thing with Milton. Um, they, I, I like the fact that they cashed in on Milton. I love that they got value for him. Before potentially losing him for nothing, uh, I think they should do consider at least consider the same thing with Kunchar. And as far as I'm concerned, I like Kunchar, so he's worth six million. And I'll say this: I'm not one of those people. I, I feel like, I, like we were talking about, you know, he's he's a tent man. I think, like I said, we were talking about this. Um, you know, he's to me, he's a guy that's he can start in LA right now. He could be a starter in LA. They need his shooting, his spacing, his rebounding, his hustle. Um, that, you know, they don't one thing they don't need is another ball handler or even a really uh, uh you know uh, on ball score for that matter. They don't need another ball handler. So uh, they got four or five of them. So he works perfect for a situation like that because the offense, as long as they got shooters, their offense would never be stagnant. Um, cause they can always draw somebody in and be able to kick out and get somebody open. 
Uh, the problem is they can't get nobody to knock the shot down. So Conchar could start in the L.A., a situation like that. But Memphis, he's at, he's ultimately a 10th, 19th, bottom of the rotation guy. And my thing is with that, okay, he's worth $6 million, right? He's, 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 he's solid value at $6 million. Yep. Um, but the, and so, so people have to understand this. You can say one thing without necessarily saying the extremity of another. So I can say Kunchar is uh, a good value at six million, but he's redundant on this team, or at least in that lineup. Uh, and really, you can argue on this team because of what what they ultimately need. So, and also in addition to that, I feel like um, they could the, what they're doing with Kunchar they could have drafted another prospect to develop into that role. You see what I'm saying? Like him being 19th, man, y'all could have did that with a second-round pick. You know what I'm saying? And you can cash in on Conchar and go get you something else. for You know, go get you a pick, even if it's just a second-round pick and freeing up the money. That's cool. You know, you get you two, three second-round picks for Conchar, you use one of them to go draft a prospect to replace him. That's what I feel like. Um, I think that they should have focused more so on it because of the fact Conchar is kind of redundant um, in in this uh, in this current one through ten rotation, especially once um, you know it, 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 when it's a full cycle. So that that's my issue with that. Explain what you mean when you say redundant, because you mentioned that before. I meant to ask you to elaborate. <clears throat> Okay, so and I'm, I'm glad you made that's a great uh, great question, a uh, great point. So with that. Um, the reason why he's redundant is because that lineup is Tyus, Conchar, um, Tyus, Conchar, Clark, and LaRavia Rodney. Um, ultimately, they really wanted it to be LaRavia. Uh, so even if it's LaRadi, either one, the, the three, for the most part, you got Clark, Tyus, and Kunchar. So those are your three main guys that you're relying on in that lineup. And the issue with this is those are all spot-up guys in terms of scoring. Those aren't guys that are going to go create and go get a bucket. Like if the offense is stagnant, nothing's going on, Jaws on the bench, or even if Jaws in the game and he can't get nothing going, you got a guy that can still go get a bucket. He's none of those guys are that guy, and it's too many guys. All of those guys are spot-ups. They're all catch-and-shoot guys. And when the offense is stagnant or when there is no playmaking, you know, there's nobody that's really creating and opening up shot opportunities for you to catch and shoot the ball, you're irrelevant. You're just another guy standing on the court watching the ball, and that's what you get um, when you see those issues of ball-watching. There's too many ball watchers on the team um, as far as guys who don't have the natural instinct to go get a bucket off or on ball. Do you see what I'm saying? And those, that's where you get guys like Sadiq Bay or Malik Beasley or uh, or even your Jordan Clark, guys that know how, okay, I'm not going to stand around while he's dribbling. If he's dribbling, I'll stand there for a couple of seconds to see what's going on. But if we're not running a play, I'm going to create a shot. Whether yep. I got the ball or not, they're going to call for a double screen. They're going to call for an off-ball screen. They're going to run the baseline. They're going to cut. They're going to swing. They're going to drip lift. They're going to do something to create openness to, to get themselves open for a pass opportunity to be able to shoot versus just standing there watching, waiting on them to get a catch just for you to throw the ball to them, being spoon-fed the offense. And that's no disrespect to those guys. 
it's not at all. It's nothing wrong. So when I say this, I'm not blaming or putting, I'm not um, um, scrutinizing John Conchar. Let me get that correct. So that's the, you can assess him for what he is and not necessarily be scrutinizing him. So I'm not putting him down. This is just what he's not. And this is what's needed in those moments. And those moments are going to keep coming up as they do. They even came up tonight. In a in a game that was supposed to be a blowout win, we saw moments where the offense gets stagnant. Guess what? That's why I wasn't so excited about the game because I'm like, it's fool's gold. Because when they play a real team, it's going to be an issue like it always is right now. Yeah, that's a great point because it has been an ongoing issue. It's an issue with the, with the 76ers because I think that was another game that should have been – not not a blowout per se, but it should have been a comfortable lead. But the 76ers kept coming back to to make that a close game. Ultimately, the final score of that game was 117 and 109 when it really should have been a, a, a lot bigger. And I don't think it's because, at least in my opinion, I don't think it's because of the uh, the defense of execution, at least since Jaron has been back. Since Jaron has been back, I feel like it just, like you said, those moments were just, Nobody can create a shot, and it's just Jai, and that's easy to defend, and nobody else is trying to cut to the basket, just just like you said. And then they, the next thing you know, I mean, that's the stop. I mean, that you know how when you are when you when you get a blowout win, the goal is to get stops. Well, when you a team trying to get back in it, you also trying to make stops, and the Grizzlies kind of stop themselves with with the lack of offensive and shot creation because once that offense gets stagnant. It, is, it tends to sometimes affect their maybe they don't get back quick enough or whatever. And sometimes they do, but it's just you do that enough, you go, you know, five minutes without really getting anything but two or four points. Then, of course, the other team has made a run. Um, It's hard to stop that kind of momentum. Right, absolutely, exactly. And that's what's happening. You know, um, like you said, you get those minutes, moments where <clears throat> guys, you stand around watching Josh dribble. Well, they stand around watching Tyus, you know, try to dribble and, and facilitate the offense. Um, but, you know, once it's not getting nowhere, they're not really able to get something. And, and in Jaws case, that's most of the time because the defense starts zeroing in, you know, so they're really playing him tight, focusing on him, daring other guys to create a shot. So they're running schemes that force you to put the ball on the ground somebody else they're like look we're gonna force somebody else to put the ball on the ground score you ain't gonna just we're not gonna let josh score and we're not gonna let josh just kick it to where you can just simply catch and shoot what you normally do and shoot 42 percent for three now we're not letting you do what you do to shoot efficiently we're gonna force you to put the ball on the ground and when they when teams force the grizzlies to do that that's when you get the runs that you got tonight there were moments where Detroit was able to do that. And then that's where you see the youth come in where they lose focus and can't keep that going. But in this case tonight, they just, they got it. They started trying to do it too late uh, when they should have been doing it earlier. Um, So it took too much out of them to really get it done because they couldn't afford to make any mistakes before it was over with. So, um, you know, they may, and even with it, they still got within like six points or something, seven points for sure. So um, I, I think, you know, as far as that goes with them, um, ultimately, uh, again, going back to the, um, the the offense with the Grizz, I think that they're going to have to really um, look themselves in the mirror as far as the trade deadline coming up and see what, you know, as far as where they think they're really going to be at. Because um, 
clearly right now with Bain out alone is a problem. God forbid if Jock goes down. This ain't last year's team. No. You know, you know what I'm saying? This ain't like last year where they can go beat somebody by 79 points or whatever. It was 70, literally beat somebody 70 some points in an NBA game without job. That was crazy. Right. That ain't even, you ain't even. They, they wouldn't even be the G League team this year. The second day without job. Not by no 73 points. I won't say they won't beat them without job, but they're not going to beat the G League team by 73 points without job. Right, so, yeah, they're not this team. So, no. and, yeah. and a lot of people, I say, compare this this season to last season, and I feel like there are a couple differences with it that should be considered. One, like you said, the depth, is, or you like you implicated at least, the depth is different. The, the depth is different. The depth is more young now. And so it makes it harder to really put the gas and foot, you know, put, put the foot down. I'm saying, remember, we remember a Grizzlies team that struggled, that lost games because they didn't know how to keep a lead. Now, this team still got enough veteran talent and they've got enough chemistry to do that with their core to keep them from losing the game. But they still have that same issue because they really gotten younger in some ways. And and you kind of see the result of that, and the other teams can go on runs, especially when, like, the rookies come in. And the other thing that makes this team different is that this the, the schedule starts easy and gets hard. So a lot of people expect this team to make a run when we get healthy, and that may very well be the case. I'm not saying this team can't make a run because it is an elite core. But if the team can manage to put a stretch of a – month or two of being fully healthy with that starting lineup, then it, there will be, they'll have the opportunity to, to potentially at least have, you know, put, put a lot of wins together. I say that they may put a lot of wins together. They'll be going up against some good teams. So there'll be some games that they lose, not because they did anything wrong, but just because it's the NBA and they're going to be playing some tough teams, man. Um, so I think it's all the more important that they put together as many wins as they can to start the season. And they've been doing pretty good. At 14 and 9, they still got a two games back, I think, from the, the top seed. So that's still in play. But um, I do think that people's expectations should not be last year. Right. Absolutely. Even as far as finishing, where they're going to finish, you know, this ain't no number two seed type team unless the West collapse, you know, again this year. Like injuries just take, take the West out. Um, if Aside from injuries collapsing the West, it's, 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 this ain't that, you know, this going to be a uh, uh, five to eight C type of year, uh, if yeah. you ask me. Maybe I, four, I say, four to eight. I say top six, but and I think that's because uh, Jai and Bain are so good and they complement each other so well. If you can get the two of them together at the same time, they can, and they can, they really can dominate, especially with Jaron in the mix and his defense and uh, his offense. Is that he's adding as well. Um, speaking of Jaren's offense, he has had twenty plus points in six out of eight games. I just I, I saw that saw that stat and I was like, man, I'm proud of Jaren. But but anyway, that's an elite core. I mean, really, I feel like Memphis has a big three. Um, and so because of that, I think they could still they still finish top six. Um, I'm hoping they can do top four, but it's gonna come down to I agree what if they can do something at the trade deadline. I think that would be to the to the it'd be advantageous to the front office because I, I I'm with you. This the shot creation is a thing. And Zaire will we'll see what, what Zaire looks like 
as a guard. Maybe that's the swing factor one way or the other, but it's currently constructed. I think there's not enough guards and not enough shot creation right now. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I feel like the reason why I can, I'm not, uh, I think the I think four through eight, I think their floor is more a little lower, but I think the ceiling might be a little higher. Uh, and and I, so the reason why is because injuries. Like yeah. I love the core, but how much have we seen the core together? Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So if we're being realistic based on history, yeah. you see what I'm saying? So that's why I say that. You know, now if they all stay healthy once they get back, hopefully if they're soon, you know, and they go on the run, I mean, then of course they will go on the run. If they all healthy, they, it's not an if, they will go on a big run. And they'll probably, and they'll finish top four for sure. They'll finish somewhere between three and four. Um, but if, um, you know, if all, if history is repeating itself, or the trend continues uh, as far as you know games played and just injuries. Then you know this is this is a year where they gonna be they're gonna be four through eight somewhere in there, depending on how how healthy they're able to be. Yeah, I agree, and I hope to see a stretch of health just because you know I, I really think it's important, and I agree with you. You going off history, it, it, I mean they, they haven't played together, played twelve games I think so far within the past two years. But my hope is that this year is better in terms of injury always. But the main reason is just because of evaluation purposes. Like you said, um, when they are going up, it'd be interesting to see if they can be healthy on that on that back end stretch where they'd be playing all those tough teams. You really understand where they stand in regards to the rest of the, of the West, right? Like or what moves need to be made in order for this team to be a championship roster. It's been hard to evaluate because hypothetically on paper, this team should be, you know, number one team in the West if they healthy, hypothetically. With if you're looking at course, I guess. If you're looking at course, they 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 in top two, three for sure. But that's hypothetically, and we haven't been able to see. We've been able to see each individual person's effort, but we haven't seen how that's collaborated together. And until you see it, it's hard, it's hard to to be it's hard to know, you know, especially it's hard to know how it's to build the roster around them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and exactly, and I'm, and that's one of the things I was hoping to be able to do with the health squad this year. I really wanted to be able to evaluate the options and what's what the teams really, what they really got on the table here, so we can kind of assess from you know what going forward. Um, and it's hard to, like you said, it's hard to do that if guys aren't available, and um, you know that's. That's something that, you know, it's, it's something to be said. You know, the thing is, it's a position where the guys that are hurt, you can't consider trade. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's something that we just got to pray that guys get healthy and really stay healthy. Yeah, stay healthy is the key. Um, you really got to see the starting line. I mean, they got to have chemistry going into the playoffs. You just can't throw them in and, and expect it to go because there's going to be an adjustment. Right. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just saying ride. I was agreeing. Absolutely. Especially with Dylan Brooks, because his role right now, he's he's he can take all those shots. Right now, even um with, with Bane gone, but with Jaron, Ja, and Bane, I'm curious to see what how many shots Dylan takes from there. Um, or whose shots get taken away from because Dylan's shooting. So all of those are all the things that need to be worked out. Um Zaire needs to be integrated into the bench. 
and, and they need to see what he looks like. Uh, I'm curious to see him and Aldama together. That would be that be really interesting to see how that if they can get a two man game going. That'd be really interesting to see. But all of those things are still question marks right now. And um, there's a lot of optimism. I think if healthy, I, I have a lot of optimism. Um, I particularly have a lot of optimism for what they can do in the playoffs. Um, when healthy, because I think that's when they've improved in half-court offense. Like, they do have more shooting. It's the, the shot creation isn't there, but they do have guys who can knock down open shots more consistently than I think they had last year. And so, from a playoff setting, I think their ceiling is is higher. Let me ask you this. Like, as I sit here and think to myself, maybe, you know, maybe the guy we should be focused on as far as Sorry for our second point. Disappointment with the second unit is more so tires because at the end of the day, he is the leader and the highest paid player of the second unit. And he's, you know, supposedly the best point, bag of point guard in the league. Even though that's not the case this year, especially in a world where John Wall exists as a bag of point guard, you're not even close to being on that level. Um, but, um, you know, as far as that goes, I, 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 I'm curious because I'm like, man, you do make like 15 a year or something like this. So you're supposed to be the guy that go get a bucket off the unit. You know what I'm saying? Want to be real. If anybody's supposed to be able to go get a bucket, it's the guy making $15 million a year off the bench. So, I, it's, you know, that may be an issue too is that because – if you look at it, I mean, for what Clutchard gives you at six million a year, where where that's going way up on the salary cap list, ultimately that's not bad. It is a good deal, right? But the issue is having a Clutchard and a Tyus and a Clark together. You know, you, you that's three guys on the court for sure that ain't creating no shot. So um, yeah, that's that's when I'm like, man, should we turn out here more than Tyus? Because I'm gonna be honest with you. I'll just go ahead and say it. he's disappointing this year. He ain't living up to the building. You're not playing like no $15 billion player. Yeah. Uh, guys that's coming out the bench, they get paid like that, they produce. You know, so Malcolm Brogdon, guys like that, he's making that type of money. Now. Malcolm Brogdon is huge off the bench. You know what I'm saying? So the guys that's Malik, uh, Sadiq Bay ain't making that type of money, but that type of role. Um, you know, those guys are producing. So if you're going to be the highest paid uh, backup point guard, which I think he is outside of Westbrook, which doesn't really count. He's not really the backup in the way he is. He's not. Uh, <clears throat> but outside of that, you're like the highest paid backup. Man, you got to produce, bro. It just ain't no excuse. And I think that he's, if anybody has disappointed them so far, it ain't contrary. Really, we, it really is more so tight. I agree. Yeah, I 100% agree with that because Contra has doubled his production. And while I, I I don't have any knock on Contra, I have a knock on how the roster from a front office perspective was. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, Absolutely. Contra, I 100% agree with that. Tyus is disappointing. One, his turnovers have increased, which is, um, it, it's, it particularly hurts this Grizzlies team because Jai is more turnover prone given his athleticism and his propensity to do flashy plays, he does tend to turn the ball over. And so what helped last year and in the past is that Tyus is the opposite of that. And he's sort of that uh, stabler for that second unit, but he's not been that. Now, part of it is he's playing rookies and I'll give him, I, I will give him a break with that. But just in terms of, like you said, what well, a defense has definitely fallen off of a cliff. I mean, he was never a great defender, but I think that it's, 
pretty bad now. Like it's yeah. I, I lie though, when we when we first got Tyus, he was billed as a solid enough defender to where part of the reason why they were getting him was because they could play him with job because of his defense. Because he was supposed to have been able to guard shooting guards. I remember that. That was part of the reason. That was part of the building when they got him. So, you know, he, you know, he's, he's definitely did as a, just like you say, you mentioned he did. He was playing with the rookies. That's a reason why, even more reason why you need to be scoring more because you're playing with more unreliable players and you are $15 million per year. You getting paid like like a big dog now, even if it's a big dog off the bench. You still getting paid like a big dog. So short short term contract or not, your salary is big dog level. So you got to produce. And just bottom line, even if you are playing off the bench with rookies, that's even more reason why you should be scoring. So you, because you know it's nice where these guys might not bring. They rookies. We can't expect them to be perfect. So we got to expect you to pick up the slack. That was part of you taking more of the money. Right. I, I agree. I, I 100% agree with that. And he's not even being aggressive in his shot attempts. I think I, I, I don't see a real increase in that, but he's been less efficient as well. And so. That's laziness. When you're less efficient and you're not taking the attempts, that's just late. That's, that's the numbers. One thing about, I love about stats, stats will tell you stuff. You know, just they'll 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 tell you stuff, and that's just laziness. Yeah, your efficiency is lower, and your attempts are lower. You're lazy, and the money is higher. You're lazy. You've got complacent, and that's the reality of it. Even if you watch his game, you don't see a lot of fire out of Tyus when he plays. I'm not saying he's just totally tanking it, and I'm not trying to dog Tyus. I like Tyus. I've liked Tyus since you know he was at Duke. You know, I love the kid. So he he's he's been special to me. And I'm disappointed because I felt like to me, I felt like Tyus should have last year, Tyus was so good. I feel like Tyus shouldn't even been a backup anymore after last year. He should have been a starter somewhere this year. But the fact that you did come back and take a backup job, you should be killing it as a backup, especially when you don't have um certain guys on your team taking away shots you know it's it's more shots over you see what i'm saying it's more to do it's more um more of you building a resume more opportunity for you to show what you are prove you know i'm worth the money and more so for my next contract but he's not doing it it's like he got the money said okay cool i'm good i ain't gonna i'm gonna do just enough to you know hide my production and that's what I, it feels I, like and that's what the stats reflect I agree. I 100% agree because effort is a question and ag- aggressiveness is a question, like you said. And there's opportunities not only with that bench unit because, like you said, you're playing with rookies, but it's also opportunities because he's playing shooting guard alongside Josh so much. They're giving him the minutes. They're giving him the minutes to be able to be successful, and he's not really looking to take advantage of them. He's not even really, like you said, cutting to the basket or trying to be you know, a threat off ball. And you could see a drop off in the intensity from last year where it was a contract year for him. And you could tell he was 100%. He was super, I mean, not intense because he's always been a calming presence, but he was super focused. And he, had, and he had the mojo. You saw it. You know what I mean? He had his moxie. He had his mojo. He would come, he, he had, you know, games where he was, every night he was giving you 12, 15, 20 points, especially if Ja wasn't on the court. He was getting, yeah. if they needed it, 
you know for sure he couldn't wait to give you 15 to 20. That's the way he played. You know what I'm saying? He had his mojo. He was, you know, he wasn't necessarily trash talking, but he was kind of a little bit. He was showing his strut. You know what I'm saying? He was he was doing his thing. This year, you don't even get that same type of energy. And um, you you might have used a better term than I did. I said lazy. You said effort. Effort may be a better term because of my lack of insight. So I don't know him enough to say it's flat out laziness. I feel like it is, but it's definitely effort if nothing else. It's a lack of effort issue. Yes, so. 100% agree. And, you know, like I said, I think when Zaire comes back to the hill, because they do have a connection, but um, it'll be interesting to see where this team goes and what they do. I, I really hope we can stop saying a term if they're healthy because it's, it gets old after a minute, man. But, but they got an opportunity to everybody, they can put it together. They got an opportunity on this homestand. The Grizzlies will have a five-game homestand, which I believe is their longest homestand of the year after this. So, and they'll be taking some opponents with the exception of Miami that I think they can definitely win against. They've got to capitalize on this opportunity. And I hope on this homestand, I believe we will see Zaire for sure. I believe he's doing five on five. And he, he kind of made a tweet, you know, cryptic tweet about, you know, the light being near. So I think he's going to be coming back on his homestand for sure. I can't say with confidence that Bain is, but I, I'm pretty sure they've got to work him. I'm not even sure if he's even doing workouts at this point, you know, one-on-ones or where he is with that. I'm sure we'll get more insight from Taylor Jenkins. Um, definitely at the FedEx Forum. Um, it, you know, well, tomorrow night when they when they play the Heat, but um, they got a chance to put it together, and I and I really hope for for their sake th- is that they do it because they've got it perform. I mean, we talk about ceiling and opportunity and depth and, and youth and all those things. That core might be elite, maybe elite enough to take advantage of a team of a West that's pretty much wide open at this point and they to make a run. They, like I said, they are two games back from the number one seed right now. Um, they are Who's number one? Uh, Suns are number one. The Pelicans are number two. They just beat Denver tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just beat Denver tonight. So the, the Pelicans are number two, and then it's Denver. But the Denver and Memphis are really tied in terms of record and win percentage. And so this game tomorrow against Miami is going to be really important, and you hate to see they play so many minutes tonight because you, you'd really love to see them get a win against Miami that could take them up higher, depending on how the Suns game goes, just, just, just depending on how these, how, the, how things play. They can got an opportunity to raise in the standings tomorrow. Um, so it's their perform. They just got to put it all together, get get a little bit healthier. And this, for all of the things that I think this team could be better with, they still got a heck of a future uh, for this season ahead of them. Yeah, I ain't, I'm I'm still. <laughs> that's good. Pelicans number two. Yeah, they are. They they they've been on a run, man. I I think McCullum came back and they they starting to find their they're starting to find their rhythm because I think there was a you know an issue with Zion coming back and the uh, JV you know how that flows and without with so many dudes who who kind of want or need the ball. It was they were having trouble meshing, but obviously they finding they flow. But that just goes to tell you how far wide open this West is, man. It right, is, it right, is, exactly. Is, that's right. what I saw more. That's what I see. And it's shout out to the Pelicans because, like you said, and not only they got a man, they might have the best staff in the league. You want to keep it a buck because they got one of the best uh, assistant coaches in the league. She needs to um, be one of the 
uh, candidates, when whenever one of the next jobs come up, Teresa Weatherspoon name has to be in there. Like Teresa Weatherspoon has just done too much um, behind the scenes, just development. Like Zion, them talk about her all the time, about how crucial she is and how they just would not be where they are without her. Um, so you know, they really compliment her. It's not no uh you know fake compliments but um so that that's the thing I, um that that coaching staff is crucial over there and not only that they got a lot of talent too so they stacked you know they it's it, david green got lucky i mean david griffin he got lucky that he found uh you know that he got the right coach this time because he should have never fired Alvin Gentry that was he had no Zion them didn't like that and that's where he lost the locker room because Zion and them like Alvin Gentry. Players like Alvin. Alvin's a genius. Alvin was the one who um he was the one who designed that offense that D'Antoni gets so much credit for. The seven seconds or less offense. That was designed by Alvin Gentry. Yet, you know, we we know how the world is today. So D'Antoni gets all the credit. Um, you know, so you know that that kind of you know put them in a bad spot, and for him to you know get at Willie Green in the mix, that really changed the course and the direction of their franchise. So shout out to them for making it right uh, with Willie Green, giving somebody some some fresh blood, qualified a brother. You know what I'm saying? Because we need more black coaches. Um, so shout out to them for making it right in that sense. But yeah, that's that's interesting, man. They number two. That's crazy. Then you said um. Phoenix is number one, so you know it's it's um it's it's weird times when Phoenix and New Orleans is dominating the West right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't say dominating because, like I said, the uh, uh, is two games back and number four, so <laughs> this was this it is there before them, man. Um, I ain't gonna lie, the way they beat us the last time we played them, I'm gonna say dominate for right now. They beat the best the Pelicans got on our tail the last time. That's fair. One hundred percent. Or did. no, did we beat them the last? We got them back, we, but we, we finally got them back. Yeah. But with CJ, CJ, you know, Hall of Fame, Grizz Killer, that's that's you know a threat to us for sure. Um, as y'all know, as y'all have noticed, we did not talk about the Minnesota game. Uh, that was a little intentional on my part, just because that game was so weird. Um, yeah, you can look at the stat box and see the, the box score and see what I mean. Um, I don't have any particular thoughts about that game. That's just one you want to try to forget about. I think that the 76ers game and the the Pistons game is more telling just in terms of, you know, where this team is. Um, But if you got any thoughts on it, feel free to throw them out. Uh, As far as the Timberwolves, I got more of the thoughts from the Timberwolves perspective going forward. You know, they was able to show when they, you know, they're able, they've been getting it together without care. I don't know what, what, you know, I don't know what they've done the last game or two since they beat the Grizzlies, but you know, they've started to figure they've gotten pretty good without cat. You know, it's not as clogged up, which is weird because cat mostly plays a lot outside, but um, regardless of the fact, you know, they lost against the OKC that last game. They lost against OKC 135 to 128. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. To have the go bear fight. No, he got I think he got ejected in that game. That's what happened. He got ejected. Okay. I was gonna say that, that's crazy. They, they, he let the game get out of control like that. Right. Especially versus OKC. 
actually it's hard to say what they really done yet. More to see. We'll see because I think they play the Pacers next. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And Anthony, I don't know. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I think it's something behind closed doors. I don't think it. I don't think uh, Cat cares for Anthony tomorrow. I think it's something between them. Yeah, I don't want to put that out there, but I I do kind of just get that vibe, like him making the comments about the way where Anthony Edwards eats. Yeah. That's crazy, like for him to say it like that. Like it was such a big, like he was really making it a big deal. When like I don't, y'all think it's funny. I don't think it's funny that he's up here ordering McDonald's and yeah. you know, like dude, LeBron eats McDonald's. Right. Michael Jordan ate McDonald's, smoked cigars, and drank liquor all night. Not to mention partying with women. You just what I'm saying, like, dude, this man ordering them. He work obviously. He works out. He ain't no chubby player. He his body looks better than yours. You talking about a, a diet, and his body look better than yours. That's, That's the crazy point. part about it. That's a good point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, it's not just them two. I don't think I don't know if I can identify anybody that likes anybody at least in that starting five. I, I just don't see. I don't see. It. Just they don't really communicate. They don't. It's kind of passive aggressive, shy. Just that whole vibe is off. Um, Kakao got his bag, but um, I'm sure he missed that um camaraderie for sure. Oh, absolutely. You can tell. You can tell. He was so glad to beat us. At least you know it's almost like having somebody come over to your house, and you, <laughs> you know they they house. Real nice and pretty, but at least you all to make sure it's clean for you. Right. You know, so it was kind of like <laughs> it was kind of one of them deals for Kyle, man. I felt bad for him, but yeah, yeah you know, that's that's where it's at now, man. They lost Pat, and that just blew a hole in eighteen, and not even just Pat. A lot of people were talking about they lost uh, Vanderbilt. I, I think Vanderbilt, the loss of Vanderbilt, wasn't so bad because they do have McDaniel's and Nazir. Uh, uh, not Naz Reed, uh, yeah. and that was, and then in the playoffs, Vanderbilt wasn't playoff. A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people that talk about Jan- Jared Vanderbilt don't realize that he was virtually unplayable in the playoffs um, because he can't shoot. So they figured that out quick, and he's not a scorer. So, uh, but the issue more than anything with them is they lost Malik Beasley off the bench. So not only are they having the problem that they having with the starting lineup with Cat and Ant and Gobert and all that, but they also having the problem that the Grizzlies having with the bench. They don't have a shot grade off the bench, and they have a good point guard. They got a good backup point guard. Honestly, the the Jordan McLaughlin boy, he's been better than Tyus this season. This season alone, I'm not trying to. I'm just be real with you. This yeah. season alone, I take him over Tyus. I hear you. I I I can't. I really can't disagree. It's a it's a it's an interesting take just because of the reputations I guess at this point of each player. But I, I like you said this season alone. Yep, I hate to admit you. You probably right on that one. It's it's at least a conversation. At right, and, and we're in the recency bias world. It's about right. what you did for me. Like I don't <laughs> care about what you last year and all that. That that don't mean nothing. So as tonight, I feel like Jordan McLaughlin is one I can rely on more so than Tyus. Is Tyus a better player all around? Absolutely. But right now, I think the Jordan just having a better season. He got more spunk. I don't know if he wants some money. He might be home. He probably ain't got no money. He ain't got no contract yet, so he's trying to prove himself. But whatever the reason, he's just showing more spunk right now. Uh, but yeah, as far as the state of the Timberwolves, that was the whole point of me mentioning everything, bringing it all in. 
that that's a that's a situation where it's interesting, man, because with Cat out of that lineup, they did show some life. They played when they played Memphis, man, they played together. Yeah. They wanted to win. Everybody they, you didn't see no friction between them that night. You know what I'm saying? And it didn't feel like nobody was missing. That's another thing. For 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 Cat to be as great as he is, one of the best big men of this era, it didn't feel like nobody was missing that night. That means to me, and what that means is that shows you that's a team that has they can figure it out without you. So that's something they gonna have to explore. Hell, Cat been on this team for a long time, bro, and you ain't got it done yet. At yep. some point, when do they start looking at you? Because you the common denominator in their recent films. 100%. And, and Anthony's defense, I think, stepped it up. Because really, it comes down to effort for, for a lot of those players. It, it It's it's effort. And for when they play Memphis, they hate us. <laughs> they, they really hate us. So they they play hard. They play with all they got. Like you said, it brings them together because they don't like us so much that it actually brings a team that divided together. It's, it's funny, man. If you, want, you want to know who helped create that energy on Minnesota side, who brought that energy and created that energy on their side? Anthony Edwards. Before Anthony Edwards, they didn't have that type of energy towards us. They didn't care whether we beat them by 50 or we won by two. They didn't care. There was no rivalry between Minnesota and Memphis until Anthony Edwards got there. Then it started becoming that rivalry type of energy. And so, Pat, Pat Bev had a lot to do with oh, that. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. But even without Pat, it was definitely Ant because of the star, the star power between Ant versus Jar. You know what I'm saying? So that alone, and Ant, he witty. He feel like, shit, I'm on Jar level type of thing. So that that alone kind of helped create that type of that spark the ends, but absolutely Pat uh, uh Pat was the one, the leader of it. He was the mature one that know how that knew how to corral that energy and make something out of it. Uh so yeah, I totally agree. And I was just saying that to say that, you know, if I gotta choose between Ant and Cat, I'm going with Ant. Yeah. I'm just gonna be real. Ant is healthier. He's younger. He's already showing he's more of a leader. He's clearly tougher. He's definitely a tougher player. Um, and he's just he's he's the one. That's one of the reasons why Cat don't like him is because Ant is already trying to. Well, he want to be the man. He want to be the leader. He, he's communicating. He calling guys out. The audacity of the kid to be calling guys out already. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That's why he couldn't wait to point something out about Ant the moment he felt like he found something worth pointing out. So uh, publicly with the with the with the diet thing, but um yeah I think with with the, I mean I'm just looking at the situation for what it is I just think that Minnesota need to potentially look at get rid of cat at this point. Yeah, I, I hear you, and we're gonna see we're gonna see what this stretch looks like. There's still a lot to be seen for sure. But and if, but, if it's I would love to have. Well, Sad. I hate to say this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I, he's just too Memphis and grind, man. It's the mentality. Now, talent wise, I agree with you, but I don't know if he'll ever stop being that mentality. I that's why I ain't quite in theory out with you, but p- probably not, honestly. Especially for what it would cost to get him. I say that for what it would cost to get him. Nah, nah, facts. Facts. Because they're gonna want a bang or something for that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Well, man, it's been great talking ball with you. I, I, I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, why don't you tell the people where, you know, what you got going on, where they can find you and all of that? Oh, uh, man, you can find me anywhere. You just Google Ed Memphis. Um, whether you Google one word or two words, Ed Memphis, E-D Memphis. But you Google Ed Memphis, you stream it, definitely stream it. Uh, you can check me out. Um, I got an interview coming up here with 50 States, which is a local hip hop platform here locally. It's kind of, um, there's really growing some buzz. So I'll be on with them soon. And then you can check me out on, uh, Famous Animal. I was on that before, but I'm going to be doing that one again here soon in the next month. And, um, of course, you can just stream Ed, Muse, Ed Memphis music on all your streaming platforms. So definitely check me out on there. And, um, you know, I'll be doing some work here with Grizzlies, Bear Blues here coming up soon. Um, but yeah, yeah, just you know, check me out on Twitter, um, at Memphis, uh, Ed Memphis Pippen on Twitter. <laughs> so you can just, you know, just catch me around, man. But more importantly, just stream me and, uh, you know, you're you, you on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. I'm on there all day, every day. Well, we re- really appreciate you having you on. Like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you can follow me at CandaceH901. Uh, you follow my guy Isaac at Isaac underscore NBA. Follow David at NBA DWheel21. And most importantly, please follow Ethos Grizzlies. Give us a like or a follow over there. But we'll be coming back at you at probably uh, Friday or Saturday. We'll give a recap of where you are at 2018. Until then, that's all. That's all I got, guys. We go. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.